today, two reporters are walking towards me, uh, step for step, stride for stride. One is a black guy, one's a white guy. And I said to a reporter standing next to me, I said, these guys look like Lethal Weapon. (laughs) And she gave me this blank stare. And I was like, am I that old that Lethal Weapon is now like like a too old reference for the young generation? Let me ask you this, Keith, because uh, uh, I haven't had a chance to look this up because the answer, the potential answer kind of scares me a little bit. How old were Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon when they started doing the radio show and then when they started doing PTI? And then how old are you and I? Oh, goodness. Well, I know how old I am. I can answer that question. I don't know if I can tell you how old Tony and, and Michael were. I know they started PTI and the early 2000s right yeah pti was definitely in the sd era that's for sure yeah 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 i mean i used to record it on vhs uh october 22nd 2001 is when uh pardon the interruption first went on the air i I thought it was 2001 it's definitely well before my time at the post all right so here's the thing now so michael wilbon when pti started was 42 years old wow how old are you 42 years old. Tony Kornheiser, when PTI started, uh, thankfully was 53 years old. So I am not in danger of being Tony Kornheiser, at least for another five, six and a half years. He also would have some, some you got to get more curmudgeonly. Well, I mean, in six and a half years, I could see the potential. Uh, I have to put up with uh, people, you know, saying stupid stuff at me like they do every November. I might get more curmudgeonly. More. Mm, impressive. You know, we should think about having this would be cool. How about if we had like a running list of topics that we were going to do on the show and then just have like a 90 second countdown to talk about each of them? That would help us get through 247 teams each week. It's what I'm trying to get at is that this show, and I've only come to realize this in the last couple weeks, this show is not all that different. Ah, all right. You were that was a long setup to make that point. I guess I was with you when you were like, I'm Will Bond's age. That also may, means you're Mel Gibson and I'm Danny Glover in this in this uh, thing we're doing here. In no way do I ever want to be Mel Gibson. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly show about the largest division of college football. And we welcome you to podcast number 257, the one with the bronze and the turkey. It's season 13, episode number 19, or if you want to think of it this way, the podcast for November 8th, 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, the former player and the person who remembers when there were teams in Pool B. And remembers when the bronze turkey was a, a game that was competitive. Although I don't think either of us was following Division Three when the, when that happened. There are some rivalry games this weekend. That's the bronze turkey as one of them. There are, of course, the chase for walnut and bronze gets uh, really uh, hot and heavy here now as we get into Week 10. Walnut and bronze for the uninitiated is how we colloquially refer to that championship trophy that they hand the winner of each NCAA Division Three championship. And uh, Keith, you know, we have got uh, so much to do, so much to say here on this podcast, uh, but uh, let's talk about it before we talk about it. You are in the business of getting songs stuck in my head today. <laughs> That's the goal. And that's the dream. Really? That's the dream. Yeah. 
because if anyone's from the 90s, you know where so much to do, so much to say leads. But yes, uh, we have a ton to talk about, and we maybe should uh, should get right to it because I think um, Coach Catanzaro puts a lot of the, the things that we would end up discussing um, in perspective in your conversation with him. Uh, I think he hits a, a lot of the notes we would hit and you know, what are we going to do when, when he's not the chair anymore? You know, he, because he's yeah. just media savvy enough. And I guess in, in D3 media savvy just means talks to us and talks to listeners and in, in, in the sense um, in the way that he understands the same gripes that we have. And at the same time, he represents the committee and can explain where, where, how you get from, it looks like it should be this, but when you dive into the numbers or when you know how the, the regional advisory committees operate and how the, the national selection committee operates, when you understand how it works, this is how they come up with what they come up with. Because inevitably, Pat, you'll see, we see this every year, people who honestly pay mostly close attention to their teams, their conferences. A lot of times these are players who weren't all that familiar with division three and the playoffs until suddenly their team's in the mix. They'll, they may be complaining about why things don't seem to make sense because um, in a lot of people's minds, all nine and one teams, all eight and two teams should get in the playoffs and the numbers just don't, don't add up that way. There are 247 teams. There are 32 playoff spots. 27 of them automatically go to the conference champion. And so that just leaves five for everyone else. And that's where we spend a lot of the, the consternation. And uh, that's where a lot of the, the fun happens, honestly, in weeks 10 and 11. Well, the nice thing is that uh, the the national chair, Coach Catanzaro, can tell us these things and often will tell us these things. Uh, very transparent, very open with uh, the Division Three fan base about how these sorts of things happen. So we're going to talk to him coming up in just a little bit. But before we do that, I need to take this time to mention that uh, this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It. That's our friends at GottaHaveItFanFoams.com. These 3D logo fan foam wall signs I've got on my wall. Keith has in his office. I have seen people unbox or unwrap Mary Harden Baylor ones. I saw a former tight end great Adam Ergang of Mount Union uh, posting his Mount Union Purple Raiders one on Twitter. There's a half dozen D3 schools already available. Surely we hope others in the pipeline and we hope to uh, to uh, to see that coming up here because if you're a school that doesn't have one of these, if you're one of the other 241, you need to get on this. Yeah, got to have it. You could do that at gotahaveitfanfoams.com. Already on the list, I mentioned Mary Harden Baylor and Mountain Union. Also, uh, UW-Whitewater, Johns Hopkins, East Texas Baptist, and Lake Forest College. You can find more information about it at gotahaveitfanfoams.com, including for people who are in charge of fundraising or the Alumni Association or the uh, the, the licensing for their school in Division Three. Keith, it's also mailbag time. I got a box on my uh, front doorstep as I was uh, coming home from work yesterday. I've got this huge, well, not huge box. It is a, uh, a box, maybe slightly smaller than the size of a box of shoes. You can hear me opening it up. It's very well padded and protected here because it is holding. It's really well protected. This is a live, this is a live unboxing, Pat. You're not as old. As you make yourself seen, this is a very YouTube generation thing. That's a, hey, I you know I I watch the YouTube, I listen to the podcast, and what I have here in my hands is 
a macaw bobblehead. Keith, you know who macaw is, right? It's the Mountain Union mascot. Yeah, M-U-C-A-W. It is a, a, a bo- oh, I have to take off the, uh, the, the foam, kind of foam scarf that's holding his head in place because they don't want it to bobble. While it's in transit, they want it to bobble. While it's on your desk, if you are a Mountain Union Purple Raiders fan, this thing is going to bobble for you on your desk. There is a limited edition Macaw bobblehead celebrating the 13 national champions. Uh, Macaw is holding a walnut and bronze. Hey, funny how that comes back around. And then 12 walnut and bronzes kind of uh, arrayed around him on the floor. You can find a, a photo of this uh, right now, at least, on the uh, blog page. You can find it right now on uh, dfootball.com homepage. We'll have it on the Twitter and a, a post on the Facebook about it, too. But this is pretty cool because uh, each bobblehead is uh, a limited edition. It's numbered uh, between 1 and 1,000. Keith, I have uh, bobblehead number 27. It's the only bobblehead celebrating Mountain Union's national championships, and you can get it at the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum's online store at uh, bobbleheadhall.com. This thing is pretty cool. Not to mention, if you're a Mountain Union fan, you want to get it now because you're hoping it's obsolete by mid-December when they win their 14th championship. And certainly, as the number one ranked team in the country, that is a possibility. So this thing is like, I would estimate it's probably, you know, I don't know how to estimate weights very well. I'm going to say it's like a, a pound or two, something like that. It's it's going to be great on someone's desk or on someone's shelf. In this, uh, uh, Macaw is standing uh, kind of on this proscenium. I'm sure that's the right word. And behind him is a uh, like a, a metal plate with a listing of each of the 13 national championships that uh, 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 that Mountain Union has won in Division Three football to date, as of the date of this recording. And you know, man, this is this is really cool. I, not knowing how many, there's at least 999 remaining. Uh, they've just arrived. Uh, they ship now. They ship immediately. Uh, they really go on sale today. If you are listening to this podcast on Friday morning, this is unveil day. It's pretty cool. It is, and and it, hopefully the the Mountain Union community will uh, will support it because it's uh, it's pretty cool to have uh, you know D three recognized in this way. And Pat, I think you need to to tweet a picture of it so we can see what McCaw looks like and you know if if uh this one is successful maybe there'll be other d3 bobbleheads in the future yeah i absolutely you'll be able to find it on twitter by the time you get to this point in the podcast keith i'm going to text you a photo of it right now it's not the photo that's going to go um on the twitter because it's got all the other stuff on my desk in the background but uh this is pretty cool and i should mention that uh, these bobbleheads were produced by foco f-o-c-o so uh, get them now at bobbleheadhall.com. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by James Catanzaro, the head coach at Lake Forest College and also the chair of the Division Three Football Championships Committee. Uh, first off, Coach, welcome back. Second off, uh, how is practice going? How is the team doing for you guys right now? Oh, I appreciate it. It's good to be back. Uh, practice is going well. We've had a uh, big schedule change with daylight savings time going from the afternoon practice time that we've been at most of the year to a 6 a.m. practice time moving indoors to an indoor uh, turf facility. So we are fortunate that we have a, a place to go and do that. It's uh, actually the old Bears indoor facility. Oh. And so we uh, we get to use that and get ourselves get ourselves ready for the game this week. It's a big one. 
Yeah, exactly. You guys uh, basically squaring off head-to-head with St. Norbert for the Midwest Conference North Division's spot in that conference championship game. Yeah, we moved from the uh, the South Division to the North Division this year, so this is uh, definitely the place we wanted to be, was playing for the, the divisional championship to get to that conference championship game. And uh, if we do that, we'll get to share old friends Monmouth from the South Division. So it'll be a, it'd be a fun one to get that get that full circle for us. Yeah, so you obviously are, are prep, prepping kids for a pre-championship game or maybe a, the rare, rarest of conference semifinals in football, for, for lack of a better term. What's it, uh, what's it like getting the, the kids ready for a game like this? Because I, I can imagine, I can't remember the last time that Lake Forest has been in a position where they can play their way into the conference title game like this. Yeah, you know, we basically have told our guys that they started playoff football this week. So when we, uh, we secured the win on Saturday night at Lawrence, um, it, it really turned into, hey, guys, you're in playoff football now. Because if you if you win this week, you get to play in the championship game. And then if you win there, you get to go to the NCAAs and, uh, you know, keep playing until, you, until you're not. Um, and so I think the last time that we were probably in this type of position was 2012. Uh, we actually played St. Norbert the last game of the year and then split the title. Uh, with them, we were co-champs, but they got the head-to-head and went to the playoffs. Um, so that's seven years ago. So it's a, you know definitely a chance this year for us to um, to get ourselves in the position we want to be in, which is win this game, and then you get to keep playing and playing for something. And I think that's the most important thing is late season, high motivation for our players to to really be focused. We haven't had to say a whole lot about that. They know we're playing against one heck of a football team that's our you know our defending conference champs and won a playoff game last year for the the Midwest Conference and then this year beat a Wisconsin State School for the first time in, mm-hmm. in quite some time. So we know we've got a tall task ahead of us, but I know our guys are excited for the for the challenge. I keep seeing uh, Jordan McInerney put up great numbers, and I know we wrote about him, and uh, you and I talked about him uh, when you were on the podcast the last time around. I don't have the number handy. I'll have to go back and look up what number pod that was. But uh, tell us a little bit about A.J. Jackson, this uh, freshman receiver slash return guy you've got, because that's another name that I now see popping up in a lot of box scores. Yeah, A.J.'s uh, he's had a heck of a year as a freshman. He actually broke the mid, uh, the school record for – uh, punt return yards this past week for the, the season with two games to go. Uh, he's the first player in school history to return three punts for a touchdown this season. He's also only the second in the Midwest Conference's history to do that. Um, and he's, I think he's number seven or eight in the nation right now in all-purpose yards. And it's uh, mainly because of the kick and punt return game. He is our leading receiver, but the uh, the kick game and the, you know, the punt return game for him right now has been really special. Um, we knew when we, when he committed to us last year that we were getting a player that was, was unusual. Um, I watched him live in the state championship game last year and he had a interception return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown and a reception for a touchdown in the first quarter of the five, a state championship game. So, I mean, we seeing that in person, I was kind of hooked and enamored at that point. And there's, there's two other things that are really unique about him. He's one of the most humble um, players that we've really had there. You would never know that he's having the success that he's having. If you talk to him, I think his, his teammates brag about him and his coaches brag about him way more than he would ever do that. Um, and, and then the second thing is he's only 17 and it will be until, uh, you know, the, the turn of the new year. So it's kind of a kind of unique thing where, you know, he couldn't even sign his NCAA paperwork stuff back in August. We had to have his parents sign it for him and, you know, get it before, uh, get that signed up before he could even go to practice. I had to look up just to make sure that this uh, that you we were talking about an Arizona State Championship game because one of those many kids that you've got from Arizona on your roster. Absolutely, that's my favorite place to go recruit, and uh, you know, with the end of our season, I'll be spending about two weeks out there while the snow's already started up here in the Midwest. I'll be in 
70 degree weather sweating trying to trying to recruit the next class of foresters also in the middle of all of that uh, things that you have going on over the course of the next several weeks as the uh, chair of the division three football championship committee i know when we talked the last time we talked about maybe having a, uh, a a football game for you guys out in arizona in november that keith and i would call keith and i are committed by the way for uh, for week 11 we are going out to uh, east rutherford new jersey to call that cortica jug game and a cortica jug game now after uh, this past week which looks like it may be a playoff elimination game. How much do you guys, as a committee, kind of look at something like that and say, you know, maybe it doesn't matter where you rank Cortland and Ithaca right now because they're going to play next week uh, or they're going to play before we have selections and it's going to make whatever we do right now moot? Yeah, you know, I think what will happen is we we know that game's out there, obviously. We know the games that are coming down in the future. I think what we really try to do is when we get our information from the racks is really try to not use that until it happens um, because it will change some things. And I think you'll see that in a number of different regions with the current rankings. There's a lot of teams in the rankings that are going to play each other. And what that will do is provide potentially a regionally ranked win um, for somebody down the road. And then that helps them kind of bump up or get a criteria piece above somebody else. Uh, but it could also eliminate somebody from the rankings. And, you know, you never know how that's going to play out. There will be, at the end of the rankings, and even now, there's going to be some two lost teams that are going to be ranked, and it just matters, you know, kind of who fits that mold in that different region. I think each region has their own personality as they they go to rank, and then when it comes to us, there's, you know, we kind of look for those consistencies to see what's really there or to see if the, the whole region um, kind of matches up. That's really the big thing we're looking for. I can see a couple spots in this ranking, and I'm looking, obviously, at uh, – the, the first week's regional ranking, the one that was released on Wednesday afternoon, where a team is at the bottom of a region where there, it, there's a, a really strong case for a third team from a conference that's already got two teams in the in the bracket or in the in the regional rankings to be here. I'm going to start with the West because this is the 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 chair, the you know, the committee that you help chair uh, in that, you know, Martin Luther, which has one loss and a 444 strength of schedule compared to Gustavus Adolphus, whose strength of schedule is about 100 points better, and who beat Martin Luther pretty handily head-to-head, but would give the Mayak a third team in the rankings. Is that part of the decision process? Does anybody ever talk about, we should really get a UMAC team in here no matter what? Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, And I think that one of the things um, that is sometimes a dangerous uh, play on that kind of idea is was Gustavus Adolphus even the next team from their conference brought up? And I think that that would be one of those things that, you know, sometimes there is a, um, a team that creates a ceiling for another team mm-hmm. um, where they can't go above a team because of a head-to-head um, matchup without any other criteria to their favor. Um, and, and sometimes the numbers aren't just the numbers. And I think that there's one of those weird situations where, um, you know, if you were to go just by the numbers, I'll use, our, I'll use the West region because that's the call I'm on. If it was just the numbers, you'd have a really strong case for someone like Monmouth, who has the the number one strength of schedule in the country, and their two losses are to Wartburg and Wheaton, who are both undefeated right now and number twos in their their regions. Mm -hmm. So that would be a a situation where somebody in their conference may be holding a Gustavus Adolphus back versus um, somebody else, or maybe they weren't even in that next batch with um, a team from maybe, you know, another YX school or another West Coast school or whatever it might be, there could have been somebody else blocking them prior to to getting up there. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm the looking- two losses is a is a is a is a pretty big stumbling block for some teams. Yeah, I can totally see that, and we've talked about. I think we've talked about it more as a floor rather than a ceiling for someone falling down like St. John's did toward Bethel this past weekend. So Gustavus, and I, I'm going to harp on this just because I want to kind of dive into this resume a little bit. Um, you know, their two losses are to two teams who are already in this ranking. They're to St. John's and Bethel, which are five and six. Obviously, uh, you know, is it is it possible that they're not the next team on the list? Is it St. Thomas? And then they play St. Thomas this week, so maybe things will change going into the uh, the second week's set of rankings. But I guess if the question or if the thought is that St. Thomas is the next one out of the MIAC and they're, and they're not rankable for whatever reason and people are then holding Gustavus back because of it, is that what you're trying to imply? Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's some more data points there than just what's, what's normal, I guess, of who might be ahead of somebody else. Um, you know, but if a, a Gustavus Adolphus situation, like I said, if they're if they're not the next team from their conference, it's kind of like when we do our, um, I guess you could say the the selection committee when we go to select the five at larges. There's there's four teams on the board, and who's on the board being discussed at that time, more so than, um, you know, who is who's that one team picked, you know, plucked out to compare. I think we could all find that one team to compare and put the blind resumes up there and say, this team goes on. But the question was, did they even get onto the board to be discussed? All right. Fair enough. Let me ask the same thing in the East, though. We'll ask about Wilkes versus uh, versus Hobart. Hobart, uh, six and two. So they have the one extra loss. They have nearly a 200 point advantage on Wilkes in terms of strength of schedule. They have a head to head win against Brockport, who is regionally ranked. And then uh, Wilkes, who is uh, seven and one with a, a loss to the East number three. Um, is your is the team that's in there is the bottom from the east? Yeah, and I think one of the things that you know you're going to provide a new data point next week because now there are teams that are ranked, and so there will be regionally ranked wins and regionally ranked losses, which the committees did not have this time through. Um, so I, I think that that's a data point that grows as the as the weeks go on. It really as our strength of schedules kind of fluctuate just barely. I guess in some cases maybe they go up 100 points. But for the most part, everything kind of drives towards the the middle. Um, and a point five is kind of the, the standard bearer, I guess. But some teams are going to be, depending upon how many non-conference games they have and how many conference games they're, they're required, um, that kind of gets in there. So when you look at a team like Wilkes now, next week when they show up, uh, you know, assuming they take another one this week, they'll be eight and one with their only loss to a regionally ranked team. Hobart would then kind of bump up to that. You know, let's assume a win there. They go to seven and three. Now they would have a regionally ranked win, and does that now creep them into a different conversation uh, than they were prior to? Even though they have a two, even though they have the two losses, and, and so I, I think that that's a data point that a, a week from now uh, may will carry some weight in a lot of different regions. Um, I think that there will be some some opportunities for teams to to move up and down with with different data points and continuing to win football games. Um, but I, I do think that you know we've talked in the past that. You know, wins are wins, and, and there's never going to be a 10 and 0 team not ranked. Um, so I think that wins are better than losses, regardless of who the losses come against. You know, when it comes down to the to the bottom one, and I do think that in each region, though, you do see that personality and the the temperament of what that that rack decides how they're going to vote. And I think that in the East region, you saw the the winning percentage piece of the criteria. Yeah. Um, you know, was kind of the strongest st- strongest tell for the East this year. 
So some of this is an artifice, basically, that there isn't a regionally ranked opponent uh, lever that you can push in this first week's rankings. That's correct. There is no regionally ranked win criteria for week number one of the rankings. Yep, and and we I think you and I have talked about this before. I know Dave McHugh over on the D3Hoops.com site hammers that point home quite a bit to people when the first one comes out. Welcoming back in Keith. Obviously, uh, a lot of things to unpack just in these regional rankings to begin with, but also in the uh, in the conversation there. One of the things that really struck me, and in the you know the the constraints of trying to keep this podcast a reasonable length for the Friday morning and Saturday morning audience, I would have loved to go back and make one more follow up about the West Region, then ask, who are the people then who decide what the pecking order is for a conference? Because the regional ranking committee decides what a pecking order is for the regional rankings going to the national committee. Who decides it for the conference? Who decided that maybe uh, the the uh, veiled suggestion that Gustavus Adolphus wasn't the next team on the board for the MIEC? Why couldn't they just change that and say, it is clear, it is clear that Gustavus belongs on this ranking and uh, ahead of Martin Luther? Yeah, I mean, I think the regional advisory committees to this point in the process uh, get most of the power and the power over the next uh, couple of weeks will uh, will will transfer from the the racks interpretation of things to more the the criteria. Right. Because I think the big takeaway more than uh, more than that discrepancy, because we are we do have people getting a little. Rile up's not not the right way to say it, but like we're reading deep into this first set of regional rankings, which, you know, that's the point of putting them out so we can start to get a feel for what the playoff picture is going to look like. But the, the biggest takeaway for me is that these rankings don't factor in results against regionally ranked opponents because there was not a regional ranking prior to this first regional ranking. Right. Yeah. Sounds like it kind of makes sense. Um, but I don't know if that was always entirely clear, and it certainly wasn't clear to everyone as they were reacting in real time to to these rankings when you're a little confused at, at why certain teams uh, aren't ranked ahead of one another. And I think the other big thing, and, and you put this in the notes and you talked about it with, with Coach Cat, but um, a lot of these teams are going to play each other yeah. in the next, uh, you know, this Saturday or the following Saturday. So you have Baldwin Wallace 5, John Carroll 6. Does it matter if Walden Wallace is ahead of John Carroll? No, because they'll sort that out. Um, there are a couple of other spots, you know, up and down these rankings where teams, just by the nature of them playing one another, they're going to have to sort some of these things out. Texas Lutheran, Mary Harden, Baylor, um, Warburg, and Central. You know, the, the the rankings can really could really flip, and I don't know if it's that big a deal. Um, that that Gustavus and, and Martin Luther are not in the correct order, which I think we can agree because of the you know thirty one point head to head win, um, cl- clearly makes sense. Um, but it's not, I don't know how much it's it'll matter in the long run. So we've got three teams that have clinched their automatic bids so far. Twenty four of them will do so over the next couple of weeks, and a bunch of them can do so this weekend and do not have. Uh, super challenging opponents on the way to doing so. Uh, Mount Union, you know, all they need to do is beat Muskingum. Uh, Wheaton, they have to beat Carthage. I, I wouldn't want to put those two teams in the same category in terms of the amount of challenge they might provide. Uh, Muhlenberg has Gettysburg this week. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know stuff that's we're going to be able to check the box on it after this week. But if you're someone who's out there and you are you know 
either eliminated from your conference race already but have one loss or are essentially eliminated because you're that second team, you're the John Carroll or you are the Susquehanna or something like that. There's a handful of things that you want to root for, you want to see happen that are going to improve or help maintain your status for one of those five at-large bids. Yeah, because right now there are seven really good cases for the five spots. And then there are a handful of other teams that could either get get played into Pool C. That would be like Mary Harden Baylor, which is unbeaten, losing to Texas Lutheran. Texas Lutheran takes the ASC's automatic bid. UMHB would be in Pool C. Same thing could happen next week when Whitewater and Wisconsin Oshkosh face off. It could happen in Wartburg and Central's game this week. It could happen in Bridgewater and Randolph-Macon, Wartburg and Bridgewater are undefeated. So I think the things you want to happen, if you are rooting for one of those Pool C teams and you want that that pool of Pool C teams to shrink, you want to root for RPI to beat Ithaca this weekend, then for Ithaca to turn around in Week 11, win the game at MetLife Stadium and beat Cortland. That would knock both Ithaca and Cortland out of the Pool C discussion. Right now we have that as whoever wins the Ithaca Cortland game is in the discussion. Uh, you want St. Thomas to beat Bethel in week 11. You want both Wartburg and Bridgewater to win this weekend. So Wartburg plays Central. Randolph Macon plays Bridgewater. And if Central and Randolph Macon win, those two teams uh, take control of their conference races. Or in Randolph Macon's case, they clinch. That knocks Wartburg and Bridgewater into Pool C. And then you want UMHB, you want Whitewater to do the expected and win. Um, there is also, if you go on the first regional ranking, scroll down to the comments. We got some help from our friend, uh, Wally Wabash, better known as Greg Thomas and, uh, and some of the other commenters who, uh, brought up a case in the, the OAC where if a handful of, of things happen, um, m- most notably Heidelberg, uh, beating John Carroll this weekend, then those two teams could, could be knocked out of the pool. You want Trinity to beat Birmingham Southern, which means Barry is back in Pool A. Barry is in this group with Wilkes, Olivet, and um, maybe one or two other teams like WPI if they don't, if the three-way tie doesn't break their way, which could theoretically be in Pool C, but I think realistically they're stuck behind the the main seven. I would love to see. Uh, I don't know if I would love to see, but it would be interesting to see some of that chaos happen because there have been years where we've had some of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's been a while now since the year where where everyone. I think it might have happened two times where like a bunch of unexpected losses happened in week eleven, and then suddenly a team that wasn't really in the mix. And I'm thinking of Wheaton one year when they were eight and two. There was another year, or maybe this is the same year where like Christopher Newport and W and J lost unexpectedly in week eleven. So sometimes teams will will play their way out of a home game. In week 11 and sometimes they'll play their way entirely out of the field and some team that started that last saturday on the outside looking in because enough teams lose they'll, they'll play their way in. so you certainly if you're if you're right in the mix you just got to keep winning and uh and let the chips fall where they may because the the committee will break down the five primary criteria and pat i think we've gotten so good actually at educating our listeners and, and listeners educating themselves i don't want to take all the credit for it um, and, and educating the readers around D3 that the real savvy people who post on the boards and who tweet about this know what the five primary criteria are, right? They're win-loss record, co- uh, results against common opponents, head-to-head results, and then um, strength of schedule and 
results against regionally ranked opponents. And everybody got so excited about the the uh, the regional rankings when they came out, we forgot that really that fifth one hasn't been factored in yet, and it'll be a little bit of time before we can make sense of of it. We'll get all this week's results, and then they'll be compared with last week's regional rankings, and then we can really get a good feel for where we sit going into week 11. Yeah, so uh, keep in touch with us here on D3Football.com all weekend. Follow us on Twitter. Keep an eye on the website on Saturday. We will keep you up to date on all of the teams that clinch and what the uh, Pool C situation looks like, you know, more or less in real time because that's what we do. Before we get to games to watch, we actually have one more sponsor to talk about, and it's really relevant to what we were just talking about, uh, and that is uh, the folks over at uh, In the D3FB Huddle. That's the folks with the uh, D3 Football East Region podcast. You may hear Frank Rossi coming up in about uh, 10 minutes or so on this podcast, assuming he gets his preview of Utica Cortland in, which we don't have yet. But that's one of the games that they're going to be covering on their Blitz, blitz er. Blitz ER, their whip around show. They're going to uh, cover the uh, the high points and the key moments from a bunch of games across the East region in uh, the NCAA Division Three landscape. Uh, 20 games across the regions. Five teams have an opportunity to clinch conference titles. Other, looking, other teams looking to stay in the postseason NCAA race or in the uh, race for the various bowl games that uh, take place in that part of the country. So you can find that on the Facebook uh, just search in the D3FB huddle. All of those are, you know, spelled in the standard way or facebook.com slash D3 huddle. Keep, we've done a whip around show for the first round of the NCAA playoffs. Seems like a, a, a possibility we might do it again here in 2019. And it's definitely a fun way to follow a bunch of games at once. There's no humanly possible way to do it otherwise. I mean, you just are... If you're paying attention to the to the D3 playoffs at this point, you probably love one of the teams that's in it, and so you're watching that game in uh, in week one. And uh, you know, if you're not, this is whether you are or you're not. This is the only way to follow everything else because you're going to get essentially what is like the NFL red zone of of D3. You'll have 16 games. Most of them will be going on simultaneously. Um, and that that's in week one of the postseason. If you do it in, in week 11, or if you're following um, Frank and James uh, this week, it'll, it won't be quite as many games to follow, but nobody else is going to know what each game matters, like how it fits into the playoff picture and can tell you about what's going on in each spot. So if you have, um, whether you have a team that's in the mix and you need to know, or if you don't have any dog in the fight, so to speak, um, it, it's just fun to watch, and it's cool because this day and age, with the technology, you can you know mirror your phone to the big screen TV, you can mirror your laptop to the TV, and then you can have essentially D3 games on your big screen TV all day on Saturday. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you? Indeed, you can do that this Saturday by going to Facebook.com/slash/D3Huddle. It's time for games to watch, where we'll preview games from Iowa, Texas, Virginia, and I'm going to start us off with a game that may well determine the automatic bid for the American Rivers Conference, Wartburg at Central. Wartburg can wrap up the ARC crown with a win, while a Central win would mean Central would also have to win at Co. in Week 11 to secure the automatic qualifier. 
After averaging 53 points per game in a four-game stretch against Luther, Dubuque, Buena Vista, and Nebraska Wesleyan, points have been a little harder to come by in wins against Simpson and Co., though the Knights won those games as well by an average of 25-11. to 11. The game features two incredibly accurate quarterbacks, as Wartburg's Noah Dodd has completed 71% of his passes with 13 touchdowns and just two interceptions. Central counters with Blaine Hawkins, who has completed 68% of his passes and has been selected to the D3Football.com Team of the Week twice this season. Hawkins was injured early in last year's game at Warburg, and the Dutch went on to lose that one 47-20. Last year when these teams met, it was on a severely windy day, and both quarterbacks will pull the ball down and run if it happens again here in 2019. Central averages 202 yards a game in the ground, while Warburg averages 182. And we've talked in the past about Warburg's dual threat. That's a D-back and receiver JoJo McNair, and he was a big part of the offense in last week's win against Coe, catching eight passes on offense yeah not to mention one on defense as well this week will feature the best opponent either Wartburg or Central has faced all season and that is why I have been looking forward to this week 10 game let's send it over now to Keith I'm talking Texas Lutheran at Mary Harden Baylor when the 25th ranked Bulldogs visit the defending national champion and number two ranked Crusaders there aren't too many outside Seguin who take this as a game UMHB might not win and to be fair, the Bulldogs are 1-20 all-time versus UMHB, last beat them in 99, and were last competitive in 2014, the year when the teams met in that weird playoff game that stretched over two days because of lightning. UMHB won 47-14 on the road last year, a road that never left Texas on the way to winning at all. But let's dive into why this might not be a sure thing in 2019. For one, the Bulldogs have won seven straight since a season-opening loss to Hendricks and have better results against Harden-Simmons at Belhaven, the only two teams UMHB has played and not completely blown the doors off of. The Crusaders have futzed around a quarterback all season, starting Ryan Redding once, Luke Porman three times, and Jace Hammock four. Hammock seems to be back to full strength. Remember, both he and Porman were injured during the title run last season. And given that Hammock played the entire Harden-Simmons game two weeks ago, it's safe to assume that he's the guy in a close one. But the real focus should be on the UMHB defense, which is ranked fourth nationally by holding teams to 192 yards of offense per game and gives it a chance to win even when the offense struggles. TLU's defense allows only 16 points and 315 yards per game, both respectable totals, but they're going to have to come in right around that or underneath to win on Saturday. TLU is third nationally in turnover margin at plus 17 with 24 takeaways and just seven turnovers in eight games. But even that is hardly an advantage since UMHB is plus 14. TLU players to watch are defensive lineman Manny Longoria, who has six sacks and often faces double teams, and sophomore quarterback Wade Freeman, who's thrown just one pick and is part of a three-headed rushing attack that averages more than 250 yards per game. The ASC's automatic bid is on the line, and if Texas Lutheran earns it, there will be some pretty disappointed teams across Pool C, since it's all but certain a 9-1 UMHB would still be good to dance. And now, let's send it out to the Old Dominion, where Adam Turr is going to preview a game in which all savvy listeners should know which team yours truly would like to buzz its way into the playoff field this weekend. Randolph-Macon entered the 2019 season as the most overwhelming favorite the ODAC has seen in several years. The Yellow Jackets returned experienced starters, especially in offense. Trey Frederick has rushed for over 100 yards per game, and Jordan Foster has scored eight touchdowns, four rushing and four receiving. The reigning ODAC champs hoped that senior quarterback Burke Estes would take the leap and lead the offense to new heights. That didn't happen. Estes was playing banged up all season. After week four, Pedro Aruza made the bold move of benching his three-year starter in favor of a freshman, Presley Egbers. With Egbers behind center, 
the Yellow Jackets have averaged 36.6 points per game during a five-game winning streak. Randolph-Macon averaged just 20.7 points per game through its first three contests. But the Yellow Jackets needed a last-second escape last week against Washington Ali in order to stay unbeaten in ODAC play and set up this week's winner-take-all showdown. The team that has looked like the dominant ODAC frontrunner all season, Bridgewater, is seeking its first outright conference title since 2005. I'm totally over it. The Eagles were part of the memorable four-way tie in 2014, but have otherwise been in the middle of the pack for the better part of the past 15 seasons. Like Randolph-Macon, the Eagles were hoping their senior quarterback would turn the corner in 2019. Jay Scroggins has not only done that, he has exceeded expectations, becoming one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the nation. Scroggins has completed over 68% of his passes, thrown for a career-best 1,814 yards, and has tossed 20 touchdowns to just one interception. The 19th most efficient quarterback in the nation is not carrying the Eagles alone. Bridgewater boasts one of the most complete teams in the country, which is why they've been on my top 25 ballot for several weeks now. The Eagles have the fifth best scoring defense in the nation, allowing just 11.1 points per game. Their offense is third best in red zone efficiency. Special teams get it done too, ranking second best in the nation in kickoff return average. Opponents have yet to find the Eagles' weak spot. Their closest game was a 15-point win over Stevenson in Week 2. Their average margin of victory in ODAC play is 31.3. Randolph-Macon's is just 13.2. But the Yellow Jackets have championship and playoff victory experience on their roster that the Eagles don't have. How much of a difference will that make in crunch time? The Eagles appear to have recaptured that late 90s and early aughts magic. Saturday will be an opportunity to prove that Bridgewater is back. Totally over that 2005 game. Totally over it. Oh, yeah, definitely. That much is clear. Let's send it out to Greg Thomas with Birmingham Southern at Trinity. Trinity was a prominently featured figure in September, having played three straight games against then-ranked opponents. After close losses to Harden-Simmons and the presumptive SAA favorite Barry, Trinity has been flying low and doing nothing but winning. Uh, The Tigers are on a five-game win streak and come into this Week 10 showdown with an opportunity to stay atop the SAA standings with Barry. I mentioned presumptive SAA favorite Barry. That presumption got torn up under the lights in Birmingham when the Panthers defeated Barry pretty decisively in October. With that win, Birmingham Southern assumed control of the SAA's automatic bid, which brings us to this week's contest in San Antonio. Birmingham Southern brings with them one of the best offenses in the country, 8th overall, highlighted by the nation's top rusher and junior tailback Robert Shufford. Shufford leads Division Three with over 180 yards per game. Shufford has been on fire over the last three weeks, rushing for at least 238 yards in each game and scoring eight touchdowns in that time. The Panther offense has proven difficult to stop on third downs as they convert in 52% of those situations, and they've been almost impossible to shut down in the red zone, scoring on a nation-leading 97% of their opportunities there. Trinity's defense has fared well against strong offenses already this season, having limited Harden-Simmons to 16 points and Barry to just 14 points. We know that the Tiger defense is capable of giving Trinity a chance in this game, but it will be the last chance for Trinity's offense to get the team over the hump and notch a key conference win. Trinity's offense has been improved over the last month, most notably the play of junior quarterback Wyatt Messicks. After a few rough outings in September, Messicks has really settled in for Trinity, completing 66% of his passes in the last four weeks and throwing 13 touchdowns against just one interception over that stretch. Trinity will need more of that from Essex to keep pace with the Birmingham Southern offense. Birmingham Southern controls their own playoff fate. Win this week and next, and they will be the SAA representative in the playoffs. Trinity's path to the playoffs requires another Barry loss, 
but a win for the Tigers this week and next would clinch a share of the SAA title and mark continued improvement for Jeremy Urban's rebuilding project in San Antonio. This game kicks off at 2 Eastern on Saturday. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. It's not often that we have an out-of-conference game this late in the season in the Liberty League, but we have an important one for many teams as Utica travels to number 14 Union Saturday. For Union, just one of three teams to clinch a playoff slot last week, the team learned from this week's regional rankings that if they want at least one home game, they likely need to finish the season at 10-0. That will be a somewhat tough feat as the Dutchman finish the season with Utica in RPI. Utica has been an inconsistent team in 2019, but they pose a definite threat. Ask Alfred, who lost 19-10 to them last week. At quarterback, Ryan Van Galen has come in to replace Logan Wilcox in the last two weeks with mixed results. He has two touchdowns and two interceptions on the season, but he's been efficient, completing 56% of his passes. Utica beat Alfred with mostly great defense and special teams. This season, senior defensive back Eli Bell has been a ball hawk for the Pioneers with three interceptions, but he nearly led the team with five tackles against the Saxons. Makai Medici's four field goals, which were the final 12 points scored by both teams and which included a 48-yard field goal late, were crucial to securing the victory for Utica. The win came after Utica gave up 95 points combined to Morrisville State and Brockport the previous two weeks, though, so which Utica team will show up in Schenectady? For Union, it may be a question of focus this week with their playoff ticket already punched. Last week, quarterback Will Bellamy threw for 194 yards, one touchdown, and most importantly, no interceptions. And running back I.K. Erebor, who did not play the prior week against Buffalo State due to an injury, ran for 181 yards and three touchdowns at Ithaca. With an abundance of senior leadership, Union should be able to regain focus right now and should understand what's on the line, but it will be interesting to see how the Dutchman respond after they have not vaulted past Wesley and Delaware Valley in the rankings yet. Ithaca should be rooting for Union, as their ability to climb into a better pool C slot depends on Union climbing above Wesley. That looks only possible if Union remains perfect, assuming Ithaca wins its final two games. Other pool C candidates in the country, though, will be rooting against the Dutchman, hoping that ultimately a Union loss will hurt Ithaca's profile. Back to two guys who are pioneers in their own right, Pat and Keith. All right, and it's time for On the Spot. That is our uh, game show segment of the podcast. Keith puts me on the spot. I put Keith on the spot. We ask each other to make some predictions in a funny style of our choosing. And, Keith, it is your turn to uh, take your shot at me or put me on the spot or whatever we want to call it first. Yeah, I think I'm putting you on the spot. And from the list of this week's 100 or so games, give me three winners, preferably three we're not already talking about in this podcast. But you have to pick them geographically from the southwest toward the northeast. And if you've seen the, the D3 map, you know that very few schools out in the southwest. Then the map is kind of empty for a while as you cross the Rockies and uh, the, the lower Midwest, the plains. And then you get into the Midwest, northeast, mid-Atlantic, and every D3 school under the sun is there. So you just got to pick in that direction. All right. I remember uh, doing one of these one time and screwing it up. I think I got fancy. I think you told me to pick as many as possible. I tried to pick 20 and I made up a backtracked in Michigan or something. And I think it also took like eight minutes of the podcast. <laughs> who was counting Frank Rossi? But, you know, this time I limited it to three. All right. Sounds good. Well, Southwest to Northeast, I'm going to start with uh, Redlands over Whittier. That seems like a uh, uh, a pretty reasonable pick for almost as Southwest as I could get. Uh, there's another one that's even further West, but um, I'm going to ask you about that game. 
uh, a little bit later. Uh, let's see. Mm. Then headed vaguely towards the northeast. I don't have to keep them all on a on a on the same plane or anything, do I? No. Okay. Because I don't. That have, that would have been an interesting uh, edit. That would be good. I don't have like mapping software that's uh, that precise. So yeah, and I don't think anybody listening is is following that closely. But you never know, Frank Rossi. Wow, Frank Rossi getting a lot of airtime here on this podcast. Uh, I am going to then go to St. Louis. We'll take the uh, the the gateway to the west, and that's where I'm going to pick Wash U over Milliken. This is probably the uh, most competitive game of the three that I'm going to pick. Um, but I think that uh, you know Wash U finding itself in the regional rankings has an opportunity to stay in them. Milliken, of course, uh, on the course of the season right now, sixth place in the CCIW. They are four and four overall, three and four in the conference. But that non-conference win is a win against Hope, a regionally ranked team. So that uh, even Milliken has had a uh, a role to play here in the uh, NCAA Division Three playoff picture. And then I'm going to go all the way up to Maine is where the game is going to be played. And uh, I'm just going to take uh, the game that's uh, between two main teams. I'm going to take Colby over Bowden to wrap it up and go basically full southwest to full northeast about as much as possible. Nice job. Yeah, way to embrace the spirit of that, uh, covering the the country coast to coast. The uh, the, the Colby-Bowden, course, are two of the CBB rivals, the other one being Bates, which is also in Maine. And those are sort of the lower tier Rivalry games in the NESCAC only because those teams generally not as competitive as Amherst Williams, which is the longest running rivalry in D3 and then Trinity Wesleyan, which is not a uh, nearly as long, but certainly uh, usually has a lot on the line since those programs have been pretty good. And Pat, if you hadn't mentioned the Hope Millican thing, I certainly would have because uh, that's really the reason you see North Central ranked ahead of Hope in the first set of regional rankings because they have a common result against uh, our common opponent in Milliken, which North Central beat and Hope did not. Well, they they don't yet. North Central has yet to play Milliken, but it will come. It will come, I tell you. It will come in week 11. And I... You're right. I have to apologize now because we're we're sort of friends of the of the program at Milliken, right? We've had uh, we've had them on the pod, and I should not assume that North Central uh, has won a game that they have not yet won because, as we talked about 20, 15 minutes ago, um, weird things do happen sometimes. Week ten, week eleven, unexpected results uh, send the playoff picture tumbling into chaos. Tumbling into chaos. That's about where I'm going to send you here, actually, in terms of on the spot, because I'm also going to ask you to pick three winners of games, but I need you to do it in the style of Chris Berman. So that means that I don't mean that you have to be obnoxious. I'm sorry, I'm not a I'm not a fan of Chris Berman in 2019 like I was in 1992, uh, but I do need you to find some fancy nickname based off of spinning off of either the name of the winning team or the losing team as you pick three teams to win on Saturday. Well, I am uh, cracking up over here, and obviously listeners can't see me, but this is the first time in On the Spot, at least the first time this season, where I actually like uh, hung my head and said, wow, this one's going to be ridiculous. So uh, good job. Yes. Good job. Good job by you, as they say. Um, first result. Uh, I will go with uh, Trinity South, the other other Trinity. 
What would what would Chris Berman call them? I don't the they, text the Texas the Texas version of Trinity. There you go. He would do something corny like that, right? I, so we got Trinity Texas against Birmingham Southern, and this is actually a really important game, um, as I guess Greg already told you about. But um, I'm going to pick that one, and I'm going to pick Trinity to win just to make sense of the uh, of the SA picture. And also, I thought Trinity we probably probably could have got a funny a funny uh, Bermanism out of it, but I guess not so much. My bad on that. Something about the something in San Antonio, I think, is probably where I would go if I were him. I am never going to be him, and I don't want to be. I want to pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Hope to beat Kalamazoo. Uh, Kalamazoo, by the way, a program that um, briefly had a, a, a basically been terrible for much of uh, D3Football.com's existence. Uh, briefly had a spike, and we thought they were going to be good and, and turn around, and they are uh, back to being a, a uh, also ran or easy win in uh, in the MIAA. So Hope will will stay. Uh, in the regional ranking stay in the mix here, but I want to, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to make, he would, he would do like a Kalamazoo, <laughs> Kalamazoo, the Brooklyn zoo. I don't know. Um, and hope the flying Dutchman, he would, the, he, he would write a, there's a flying Dutchman voice. Can someone do the SpongeBob? Can you pull a drop from SpongeBob? That flying Dutchman? No, not ringing a bell. Nothing. I don't know. Sure. I have to ask my children are asleep. They're the SpongeBob experts in this house. Who dares wake the Flying Dutchman? There'd be some kind of Flying Dutchman Bermanism that we could work in there. I'm not really that good at being um, super awful and corny. I mean, I think I'm pretty corny, but not like not corny enough to uh, to um, qualify under uh, under the Bermanisms. And I'm actually fine with that. I think we just have to mention before we move on, that's a game for the wooden shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? Oh, yes. Well, um, since we did mention the longest-running rivalry in, uh, in D3, uh, I think Amherst-Williams deserves a moment of shine on this one. First of all, it seems like a, a little earlier than normal. I feel like it's usually in Week 11. It's Week 10 this year, but f- as we all know, uh, the NESCAC season is a little shorter than everyone else's because it's capped at nine games. Um, the Woolly Mammoths. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do these. I'm not corny enough. I don't think to do to do Berman to do Bermanisms. Uh, they're they're hurting right now. Uh, Amherst usually a program that's uh, seven and one. You know, occasional six and two in there. Often uh, have handful of eight nos in there. Did have a four and four season in. Uh, in 2016, but essentially Amherst always in the mix at the top of the NESCAC. Right now, they're fighting to not have a sub 500 season for uh, for the first time, and I don't know if I can scroll far enough to find the last time Amherst was uh, <laughs> yeah. was uh, below 500. And of course, they played eight game seasons for for quite a while in the NESCAC before bringing it back to nine. Um, recently, that game was a long time uh, a scrimmage, the ninth game, and, and now it, it counts. Uh, Amherst on a three-game losing streak. Williams itself was a program that essentially was always 8-0, 7-1. A lot of times this Amherst-Williams game was for the conference title, so the fact that they didn't get to participate in the postseason was sort of nullified is not the right word, but but offset by the fact that this game was for the proverbial marbles and uh, all of them were involved. Um, but Williams went on like kind of a rough stretch. 
from you know to the early aughts where they were six and two eight no six and two eight no to drop into three consecutive two and six seasons from 2013 2015 0 and 8 2016 bottomed out and then back to six wins last year and williams is a six win team looking for number seven against its rival amherst and i'm gonna go with the with the eef the fighting eefs the eef men the cows the whatever you want to whatever berman would call them the purple people eefers there i finally got one <laughs> all right well that uh, proves that if you uh, give Keith enough rope, he's eventually going to work his way out of hanging himself. Yeah, well, I, I, got, I finally got a Bermanism. Well, last weekend on the spot, I was asked to pick a game which would finish with a score of 10 to 31 because of Halloween, you know, 10 31, as well as a game that was 6 to 2 in honor of the final score of Game 7 of the World Series. Suffice it to say, neither of those things happened. Uh, Keith was asked to pick two games and mispronounce the names of the teams as if he were an ESPN selection show host, and he co- correctly picked Denison, Denison, I don't remember how you mispronounced it. Over yeah, it was Denison. Over it, it reminded me of the, the Key and Peele sketch. That's why I remember. Now, D-nice. Do you mean Denise? Son of a bitch! Uh, gotcha. Over DePaul. No, sorry, DePaul or DePaul. And then uh, Warsh U, which uh, or something like that, over Augustana or Augustana or something like that. Uh, both of those were correct winners. Yeah, and, and I owe you an assist for uh, for bringing up Washington. I always, I always disliked when people said that. Our uh, random game this week, 119 games. This is the uh, the last of the uh, really large weekends because, uh, as Keith mentioned, the NESCAC wraps up. And we have number 65, and we have landed kind of smack dab in the middle of everything, but way out on the edge of the map with LaGrange at Methodist. Remember, our goal here is for uh, us to spin out a quick preview of the game as well as come up with a rivalry trophy. And we found it works best if Keith does the preview. And while he's doing that, I think about a rivalry trophy. Yeah, you can maybe throw a Bermanism in there if you're uh, if you're looking forward to uh, to coming up with a cool, funny rivalry trophy. Got it. Yeah, I think I think Methodist and Lagrange probably are a couple programs in the USA South that um, have been competitive at, at some points and maybe had uh, had high hopes for the season, but it's really been all Huntington and Averett uh, this year in that conference, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Um, Methodist had, I mean, I guess ha- has had high some higher moments than Lagrange has. Both of them three three win teams this year, um, and not a whole lot to be to be excited about. But you do see that um, Methodist has had a couple of big weeks offensively, and there's an opportunity perhaps for uh, for another big week offensively because there are a couple of things Lagrange has not been so good at, and part of the reason. They're three and five this season. Um, penalized quite a bit. Uh, eight penalties per game, about 75 yards given up. Uh, and they are not good. They're sub 150 in uh, in scoring defense. They're giving up 30 a game, which um, still a lot, even though you know offenses offense has exploded over the past decade or so. It's still not a good day when when your defense gives up 30 or when they average yeah. giving up 30. Um, and uh, and really, honestly, Lagrange has just uh, has, has struggled offensively um, to th- to move the ball down the field, passing wise, 173rd 
in in the passing game. So there's a chance here. So you're telling me there's a chance for Methodist, but this is basically like a middle of the road, low 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 conference. You know, USA South doesn't rank too high in in the conference rankings, but it's a middle game. And you know, to be honest, Pat, we don't spend a lot of time this time of year talking about games like this because there are so many big games with with such uh, importance. But there are campuses across the country where this is the game that that they care about, and uh, and there are there going to be games like this on Saturday. Whereas the three and four, three and five team, they're not playing out the string necessarily. I mean, in theory they are, but for the, for that three hours, you know, these Lagrange and Methodists are going just as hard as as anybody else across the country. They're just not quite as uh, as sharp at it because uh, you know one of the things that um, that that Methodist does even worse than Lagrange is uh, is the penalties nine per game, eighty six yards per game, and uh, not so hot at rush defense either, giving up one hundred and seventy eight yards per game. So, chance for uh, for each team to to try to get closer to five hundred in this one, and I think that's sort of um, when we pick a random game, we probably don't need to talk about it for three or four minutes. But it, the fun of it is. There, there are games like this across the country every Saturday where it's to some group of people, however small that group might be, this is a really important game. Well, it's important to me to, uh, because these guys are going to be playing for the Gallopin Ghost Trophy. And that, mm, I like it. See, that is about as uh, Berman-esque as I would get on that, the Gallopin Ghost of LaGrange. If, if, I mean, yeah, just, if, there lots of people who listen you. to this podcast who don't know who the hell Red Grange is, I'm sure. I mean, but you you got it's a it's a, a football podcast. You have to be able to say Red Grange or make a random Jay Burwanger reference. And if people don't know it, they just don't know it. I didn't see Jay Burwanger play or Red Grange, but I know who the heck you're talking about. All right, time for even more one-liners. I'm going to rattle games off. Number ten, John Carroll at Heidelberg. Yeah, we shouldn't look past the six and two princes who are six nationally in total offense and on third downs, an average 513 yards per game. I'm not sure if those Baldwin folks salty about being ranked behind John Carroll would rather see the Blue Streaks lose this Saturday or wait until next week to have a chance to do it themselves. BW, BTW was a one-point winner over Heidelberg at the end of December. Uh, September. Either way. We've got number 23, Linfield at Whitworth. It looked like some other Northwest Conference programs were on the rise. over the past couple of years, but essentially the only game that matters for playoff positioning in this conference is exactly who you think it is. Since the same day losses to the Skyac leaders early this season, we spent little time nationally on the Wildcats and Pirates, but it's going to be bombs away on DBs and coverage linebackers on Saturday. Wyatt Smith and Linfield support the nation's top passing offense at 369 yards per game, and Whitworth averages a mere 290, most of that with Leif, Leif Erickson under center. He played last week against Pacific Lutheran, and he's expected to start Saturday in Spokane. Interesting for me. I'll be interested to see uh, how Wyatt Smith does against teams that are not Willamette or Lewis and Clark or Puget Sound. And I already forgot who the fourth team was on that list. All right. Hanover at Rose Holman. Wait, what? You mean Franklin isn't playing Mount St. Joseph for the, the HCAC title? Yeah, there's a new soul in the Heartland. And a Panthers win renders their victory bell matchup next week as just for fun. If Rose Holman wins, it clinches before a week 11 non-conference game with St. John's that is would then be purely for seeding, seeding and sharpening. Seedening is a new word that we were going to make up on the podcast this week. No making up words. Uh, Huntington versus North Carolina Wesleyan. 
Yeah, the Hawks had two bad losses in September to Birmingham Southern and to UW Oshkosh of the 40 to 13 variety. Um, those kind of those the scores were not close in, in any way. But they've since won five straight USA South games, including a 41-35 game against Averitt, which means they only need to win one of their final two to clinch the USA South title and the playoff spot. And we'll wrap it up with Stevenson against Wilkes. Yeah, Jose Tabora and company are 7-1 and one and will be one of those teams on Selection Sunday griping about how few at-large spots there are unless the 6-2 and two Mustangs end that talk before it starts. Oh my God, you are totally right. They're going to be one of those teams. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. we got six people giving you answers to six questions just to get a cavalcade, a cornucopia, one might say, of opinions on uh, the upcoming week. Uh, we start scoring last week's games, as always, with the game of the week. Union versus Ithaca and uh, Muhlenberg versus Johns Hopkins were both great choices in terms of their impact on the national picture. But uh, only the one that went to overtime can really be the game of the week from this group, and that was Keith's pick of Brockport, Cortland. Woohoo! Four of us, uh, myself, Ryan Tips, Greg Thomas, and Adam Turr, picked Cortland as the top 25 team most likely to get upset. That was actually like a veto-proof majority. Veto. Uh, veto. Uh, Frank Rossi picked Ithaca, snubbing the convention that we have used for quite some time that says top 25 versus top 25 games don't belong on this list, <coughs> but whatever. And then a full buzzer for Keith's pick of Muhlenberg. <coughs> When we got to picking a conference co-leader to lose, three of us took Hanover and one took Denison. We were all very wrong. Kudos to Keith and Ryan for their pick of Benedictine losing to Aurora. We also looked at teams who were looking to improve their standing in regards to the, the regional rankings, and this was harder than it looked. Pat hit on Bridgewater, Greg on Wesley. Ryan was correct with his Muhlenberg pick. It got even harder to pick teams who would hurt their regional ranking resume. Only Ryan Tips came even close picking Bethel. And even then, the reason Bethel's stock was hurt most might have been because St. John's lost to Concordia Moorhead. See this week's quick hits on the website by noon Eastern time or Pacific time, depending on how soon everything gets in uh, by noon on Friday. All right, and we're down to the pick six. Back to pass, looking in the near corner for Knapp, and it's intercepted! Zahar at the goal line, returning it to the 30. I get six games, Keith picks a winner, and and nothing else, and here we go. Knox at Monmouth. Monmouth. Yeah, for the uh, bronze turkey. Occidental at Pomona Pitzer. Pomona Pitzer, but uh, good to see Occidental make it through a whole season. Bonus point for telling me what that uh, rivalry trophy is. Absolutely. Myron Claxton's shoes. Uh, or is that the drum? That's the drum. That's, that's the drum. That's the drum. Ding. Uh, River Falls at Oshkosh. Oshkosh. They, they're looking much better since they've uh, settled on Kobe Burkhammer under center. Yeah, you can write a story about him on the front page of D3 Football right now. Mm. Martin Luther at McMurray. Oh, we've disparaged Martin Luther enough on this podcast. No, we haven't. I'm going to pick McMurray. It is a long drive for Martin Luther down to McMurray. I had Amherst Williams on my list. Uh, you already picked that, so I'm going to give you Wesleyan at Trinity. That's a, that's actually a good one. I think that Trinity's a little down this year, too, and I'm going to take Wesleyan. And then we'll wrap it up with Bridgewater State at Framingham State. 
Wow, I thought you were going to make me pick the alma mater um, because uh, they're playing Bridgewater of Virginia. Bridgewater <laughs> State. Who's Bridgewater State playing? Framingham State. I, I already forgot. As soon as you said Bridgewater, I was already in Harrisonburg area, and I should have been uh, up there by Buzzards Bay or Cape Cod or wherever Bridgewater State is. Uh, I'm also going to take Bridgewater State, by the way, in that game. I tried to give you as many remaining rivalry games and conference championship games as possible. That is for the MASCAC title, essentially. Yeah, but not the not the Cranberry Bowl, right? Because that's Bridgewater State and Mass, Mass Maritime. Maritime. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, and if it's not, well, you'll tell us. Uh, and this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 257, released on November 8th of 2019. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of the coverage. We've got a lot of it throughout the weekend and like the next week and a half. It is crazy. But if you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You know, anywhere that you get podcasts generally gives you the opportunity to rate it and provide a review. That will help other football fans find it, and you can leave comments on a specific episode on the blog page. Uh, you can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music used on this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Um, thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Rossi, along with Greg Thomas, plus guest Jim Catanzaro for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. I thought you could work some kind of reference to four interceptions against Catholic in there. No? <laughs> I I am pretty sure that if I don't have the tape, then Ray Martell has the tape of that game. And, you know, those are actual, literal cassette tapes. Wow. I actually would love to hear that. I'm, because yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure I've told this story before, but there was a point in that game. I think I that this is the third interception. And, uh, you know, you like to run around with the ball a little bit and get tackled and you go off to the sideline. I remember taking my helmet off and like everybody pat you on the helmet. And I turn, I look and it was 13 to 10. Like we were barely even winning at that point. You're like having a game of your life. And I'm like, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long, long day. I would love to hear that game again just to see if I properly identified you at any point. It's always difficult to, you know, find the guy downfield who picks off the pass and when it's you know, someone who does it for the team that you don't follow on a regular basis. Right. I can only imagine that the first time I probably didn't identify you at all. And then the second time or the third time I probably had it figured out. And I'm sure by the fourth time I was just going to be really pissed. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely going to be some anger in that one because, um, Catholic was super, super good at that point. Um, and, uh, and, and beating them was a big deal for us. And, that was the year that a Sim Sim Penny, yeah, right, Penny. was the big was the the big tall target who'd come from South Carolina. Yeah, so I think I mostly covered him, which was good because Jeff Clay used to just leave me in the dust, and um, it was probably good that I wasn't around him too much. I gave up a touchdown to him at the end of that of last the game, but uh, we were up by nine, so like it didn't kill us. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. 